Hi, Mindless Focus here. When I'm not worshiping at the Church of Starry Wisdom, I'm listening to Miskatonic University Podcast. Go Pods! Ia, Ia, Nairlato Tell. It is a center for higher learning. It is a place with centuries of secrets in its shadowed halls. This is where you have come to learn the mysteries of the cosmos. Welcome to the Miskatonic University Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Miskatonic University Podcast, episode 66. This is the podcast dedicated to Call of Cthulhu and other horror and Lovecraft-related role-playing games. I'm Keeper Dan. And I'm Keeper John. In this episode, Dan and I take an opportunity to respond to some questions posed at the Gen Con panel. I'm Keeper Murph, and for our main topic, we set the Wayback Machine way forward to talk about science fiction as a setting. First, we're going to start things off in our campus crier. Miskatonic University campus crier. Campus crier's Miskatonic used student paper. We're just going to go through feedback and news. This episode's recorded on October 19th, 2014. Start things off. Uh, De Horror Cosmico from Golden Goblin Press, the Invictus uh, campaign book uh, with uh, six new scenarios, has completed its Kickstarter, reaching a total of 26,105. Very good. Congratulations, guys, again. Yeah, absolutely. And that means that. The stretch goal for uh, Tales of Cthulhu Invictus, the anthology book being edited by Brian Sammons, has been reached, as well as another stretch goal past that that adds another section to the book with patrons that can employ the investigators. Yeah, I can't wait for uh, um, Sammons' Tales of uh, Cthulhu Invictus. I think yeah, that'll that be really be cool. Yeah, very, very awesome. And I do. I love the addition of the uh, patrons. That was such a such a good idea of, as a stretch goal. You know, I like the uh, addition of that. I just, I am, I'm, I'm disappointed that that it couldn't reach up enough for uh, for the uh, Whisperer Crow. You know, for Chad's scenario to be included yeah. in uh, in that last section. I forget what they were calling that one. Yeah, I I don't remember either. But yeah, I had like two or three scenarios that were going to be added in, and Chad was one of those and yeah two and then if it hit another dollar value it would have been the other two it would have been yeah. the second part yeah it, that bites but chat oh, well. game publication at some point here and yeah i'm sure it's only a matter of time 
Another one of H.P. Lovecraft's Tales of Terror has been adapted for the screen. Get ready to gaze in horror at this exclusive clip from The Thing on the Doorstep, directed by Tim Glisserman, from a screenplay by Mary Jane Hanson, and starring David Bruce, David Bruce, <laughs> David, sorry, David Bunce, Susan, somebody else say that. <clears throat> no, please go right ahead. Susan Secarelli Caputo, Mary Jane Hansen, and Ron Camora. The Thing on the Doorstep should arrive in stores on November 18th. So is this a direct-to-DVD, or is this... Yeah. Okay. That's why I included the link there, so that way you could see what it was. I just kind of copied part of the info from the website. But yeah, this is a direct-to-DVD kind of movie, and it's actually a film that's gotten made because it wasn't through Kickstarter, so we didn't have to rely on (laughs) external funding. It looks, I I already saw the uh, clip. I caught it uh, yesterday online. I thought it looked really cool, so. Yeah, it doesn't look bad at all. Yeah, it's modern day. It doesn't, the clip didn't have anything, you know, too creepy or anything, but it it looked, it looked like it's production values look good yeah and it looks like they're sticking to the story mm-hmm. right it looked like a a very solid adaptation so i'm quite pleased with how this looks like it's gonna be coming together and yeah definitely gonna pick this up whenever it comes out yeah it looks really cool uh they it's the funny thing i thought was this particular story has some really interesting names in it um, and they, they kept the names for a modern story. It's kind yeah. of interesting. So you end up with, with Edward Derby or Darby, however, which side of the pond you're on, I guess, uh, who becomes involved with the enigmatic hypnotist as a Nath Waite. Yeah, they kept <laughs> just, as an you know, name. One. Yeah, it's great. It's pretty terrific. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, and they have a pick of their cover over there on the link that we have in the show notes. And it's a pretty interesting cover. I like it as well. But I like the thing on the doorstep, so it'll be pretty interesting to see uh, how they pull that off. The thing, I mean. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. I, yeah, I'm actually yeah. glad that they didn't spoil it in the trailer or in the clip. You know, I, I'm there. It's like they're really trying to push the uh, like what we just noted, well, which is you know good production value, good acting, and you know, as far as we can see in the uh in the clip and and so, you know, the horror will hopefully have the same uh quality. I know, wonder if they're I wonder if they're gonna do it in that style where um you know kind of some some B movie horrors tend to understate the monster uh in order to try to amp up the psychological horror aspect of it. Um, I wonder if they're going to do it in that way where you don't see much of it and just little cut, cut little glimpses of it because of production values, obviously. But it, I tend to like that because it, it leaves more open to your imagination. Oh, yeah. I mean, so, Steven Spielberg proved that with Jaws. You know, it's, it's yeah. better to suggest than to, to flat out show until you get to the climax. And then you got to have you got to have some, you know, full on screen every now and then just to just for the shock value sometimes. So, right. But I agree. I, and, and you know, those are, those are lessons learned. I'm sure, uh, I'm sure the filmmakers are going to do that. So I look forward to it. I think it will be cool. And I just found that this is already available through Amazon instant streaming. 
Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, cool. Then I'm gonna I'm gonna go watch it later. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let you know how it is. You can rent it for two ninety nine or buy it for ten. <laughs> That's a maybe maybe spend three bucks to see if you like it before buying it on disc. Yeah. That That's sounds not far too yeah. intelligent for anybody to do that. <laughs> I, I know well, I won't do uh, that. So Yes, because you're Luddite John, and we know exactly. how you operate. I, I, will, I will plunk down my dollars and buy it sight unseen, <laughs> and then bitch and then bitch and moan about it later, I'm sure. Right, of course. Uh, how, else, how else can you do it? <laughs> it's the American way. What can I tell you? <laughs> and... Uh, I was going to say, next up, uh, we also have, uh, there's a new annotated Lovecraft book out, uh, and there's an interview with the uh, annotator, Leslie Klinger, on the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast, episode 227. Yeah, yeah, Mr. Klinger, he has actually, um, in the interview, found out that he has done annotated uh, books for all the Sherlock Holmes stories, he's done Dracula, uh I think he's might have done another one or two, you know, um, gaslight era type of things. And he wasn't all that familiar with Lovecraft before doing this. Huh. And it kind of made him a fan. So it's a really interesting talk that he has with the guys at uh, HP Podcraft. That's interesting. I'm, I'm going to have to listen to that. Yeah, it's not Lovecraft's entire collection in this book. It's you know, a selection of some of the primary stories and, you know, basically some of the, uh, you know, most uh, popular ones. And then he goes through and does extensive annotations of them. But awesome. Apparently, uh, Leslie Klinger likes to do research on things. And so he just researches the crap out of details in each story and puts them in. And from <laughs> what he said, the book should be around. Oh, 40 or something dollars. You see here, I've got the Amazon link. Oh, retails are uh, 25 bucks for the hardcover. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a great price. Good price for a hardcover. Yeah, yeah. And we got the, uh, you know, a nice annotated version of some of the main stories. So, yeah, I'm probably going to try and get my hands on this later on. Uh, also, for you guys that were um, waiting for the Laird Baron edited Year's Best Weird Fiction that was crowdfunded earlier this year uh, they are finally about to ship um, I just got an email about that just a few moments ago um, so th this is the year's best weird, weird fiction that was edited by Laird Barron and Michael Kelly I believe um, you can get it right now on Amazon for $10.74 for the paperback um, I have been waiting for this for quite a while it looks really really cool the cover of it is pretty awesome it looks really cool it's got some good names in it Joe Pulver's in it, Michael Kelly, Laird Barron. Um, I'm trying to think of who else is in it. Um, Chrissy DeMister. Anyway, I've been waiting for this for quite a while, so this should start showing up to people here soon. I think they're they're verifying shipping addresses, and so they're going to be shipping that out. Amazon has evidently already got their slew of them from the printer, so um, you can go ahead and buy it online if you didn't uh, kickstart it or Indiegogo it, whatever it was. I can't remember now. Yeah, yeah, it, it looks really good. Yeah. And one thing I wanted to uh, kind of bring up and share some links. We've seen uh, several Mythos computer games uh, funding on Kickstarter lately, and at least seeking funding. Uh, we've got 
a list of three of them that I found that are currently active, one of which has already reached its funding goal. The other two are unsure. The first one uh, is called That Which Sleeps. And imagine that you're playing a game of something like Civilization. And except for instead of controlling all the little bits of where you're building up the civilizations, that part's computer controlled. You're doing a an old one that is quasi dormant and you're doing little influency bits with certain population members to make things go awry. And so it's like it kind of trying to wreck a game of civilization from the inside. Yeah, it looks like you're like in any of those real time strategy game civilization buildings that whole genre it kind of takes that from the other ear you know where you're the bad guy basically trying Mm -hmm. to destroy everything it looks really really cool um currently they've got like 3500 backers they've got sixty six thousand dollars out of a twelve thousand dollar goal and they've got about three days left so you can still get in on it yep and ten dollars gets you the game right it's it's, for every potential operating system yeah because they're they're doing it right. They're going through Steam uh, with, you know, platform available on Windows, Mac, Linux. Um, and they're going to put it in the Humble Store, which I think is a good idea as well. And one thing that I was looking at with this is that, see, the old ones that they are using with this, it the game comes with, you know, one old one that's kind of the default. And they fleshed it out. They've given details. And then there's stretch goals for like three other potential ones that the backers get to vote on which one they want for the the secondary old one. But what it does is it gives you a name. It gives you uh, specific powers. It it gives motivation, stuff like that. <laughs> Guys, this is game material. Yeah, yeah it, that's very it's cool. really it's really, really cool what they've done with it. Um. It looks really cool. You really need to go to the to the Kickstarter campaign page and look at the screenshots that they have of the of the game already. And some of their artwork is really nice. It looks really awesome. I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing this. I'm I'm going to get it on either Steam or the Humble Bundle whenever it comes out, without a doubt. Yeah, because this is I'm looking at this going. Wow, it really wouldn't be too difficult to stat out some of these things here. And this is a campaign. Yeah. So yeah. Congrats to those guys, because that, that looks really awesome. Seems to be coming along quite nice. Well, the next one was the uh, game that we'd mentioned last episode, which was Human Resources. Right. And this is one that we really wish be able to reach the goal. It's still got 16 <laughs> days left, but they've still got yeah, a big chunk of change to yeah, reach they've got over a goal. <laughs> They're asking for over a million dollars in the next 16 days. I don't. I don't think they're going to get it. To be honest with you, um, it doesn't look like they're going to. They're going to meet that by any by any means, unfortunately. But it looks really cool. Yeah, I hope that they're able to redo things and and try and get the funding. Or or one of the things that I'm you know wondering happens. I don't, I have no uh, knowledge of something like this happens, but you know something like this Kickstarter, which is a video game. The, the Kickstarter itself might also maybe act as an ad for an exec 
you know, at, at another, you know, video game company, somebody that actually has, you know, in-house funding available. And you never know something like this. Someone might see it and go, that's got some, you know, legs to it. Maybe we should, could, uh, you know, bring it in house. I, I, of course, that all depends upon if the people making it are willing to, uh, sell it basically and, and say, okay, sure. I want this to see the light of day. So I'll, you know, go to Blizzard or whatever. I don't know video games. So, uh, but, you know, go to one of those companies and, and, and be, you know, published through them well, as opposed to self publishing. Well, I mean, it's it's made by a company called Uber Entertainment, and they've actually put out a couple of other games, I believe, already. Um, and they've done uh, there's a game called Toy Rush that they've done, uh, Super Monday Night Combat, and Outland Games are, are their other three games that they've already uh, huh. done, I believe. Um, I'm just looking at their website at this point. Okay, it, you know, like I said, I don't, I don't know video games, so they're they're not. This isn't a one shot for them. That they've no, already had stuff before. I I it looks like they're a company and looking on their uh Kickstarter page, I mean they have a they have a, a pick there of the team and the team is large. So I imagine that this is, you know, I mean this is a dozen plus individuals doing this, you know, with the guys at Uber. And it says there that they've worked on titles like Total Annihilation, Command and Conquer, Supreme Commander and Demigod. Um so I mean those are some of those are pretty decent games. Well, I'm also looking at the other Kickstarter that they'd pre- previously done for a game called Planetary mm-hmm. Annihilation. Right. That had a goal of 900,000 and it finished at over 2 million. They probably assumed that that their yeah. first one, the ceiling was too low. They were trying to go with something more realistic, figuring they would still hit well, two, it's grand, not much, you know, 2 million. It's not much different, though. I mean,. Yeah, I mean, we'd have no idea. But, I mean, I really would like to see this finished because yeah. it, it looks really, really cool. It looks amazing. It really does. So, hopefully, they're able to kind of retool things. Yeah. The uh, the last one on the list is called H.P. Lovecraft, The Case of Charles Dexter Ward. And this one has uh, 12 days to go. And they were asking for 250000 It looks like they've got about seventy one, seventy two thousand as of right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if it's going to make it or not either, unfortunately. Um, but again, this looks more like a, um, a how would you describe it? A point and click. Yeah, point and click adventure. Yeah, where you actually, you're playing Charles Dexter Ward. <laughs> yeah, which is really through cool. Through the story. So Who looks like a creepy love crap. should have some changes. <laughs> yeah, uh, to tell the least. Yeah. Uh, up next, it's that time of year again. Uh, the Delta Green Shotgun Scenario Contest has just started. Uh, and these are uh, short uh, scenarios, typically. Um, we, uh, we've got a link in the show notes to our forums where um, Ed Posing has uh, posted this. He's, I believe he's basically uh, running herd on this. Uh, so uh, entries, if you're interested in... in uh, uh, Submitting this contest. Uh, uh, entries are going to be short scenarios. So uh, you want to try and shoot for 1,500 words or less. Uh, it can be bigger than that. You can have a longer scenario, uh, but uh, they're going to be judged uh, a little bit differently um, uh, if it's a longer scenario. But uh, they are shooting for uh, short, concise scenarios. 
your entries can be emailed to Ed Posing, and his email address is in the link. Uh, so just go to that, and he'll and you'll be able to get that. And uh, some uh, submissions are due by Sunday, December seventh. So you have a little bit of time, uh, especially for a fairly short scenario. You have some time for this, and it doesn't actually have to be a, a scenario uh, per se. It could also be just like a plot hooks or something like that. But um, uh, definitely check out the link and, and read all of the uh, uh, of the rules that Ed posed for this. But you know, Ed Ed himself is a, a Delta Green Shotgun scenario uh, winner. Uh, he had uh, Secret Shopper last year, and I got to play in that. That was a lot of fun. That was a really good uh, it's, scenario. It's a, it's a really good scenario. Yeah. I, I, didn't you and I play in that together, Murph? Yeah. 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 We did. That was that was fun. Yeah, I think Good we played scenario. it before he before he won it too, which was fun. I think he was he was beta testing it or something for us or something. I that or I think he was in the running or in the finals or something like that. But something yeah. like that. Yeah, it was it, it was a, a really fun game though. It was. It was really, really fun. It was fun to have Ed run it for us. Uh but uh yeah, I wanted to to bring this up because uh it's an opportunity uh for people who are interested in in writing and uh, doing scenarios. This is uh, something that you can submit to. It is uh, Delta Green, so um, think modern. Uh, you know, be familiar with the uh, with the Delta Green uh, settings and stuff like that, and uh, and write for that. Uh, but like I said, it's it is designed for short scenarios. But again, you can write it longer. Uh, but uh, you know, doing fifteen hundred words. Should be you know not too difficult, uh, and it does state that uh, the stat blocks when you do character stat blocks, stat blocks, those do not count against you in your fifteen hundred word count. Um, so really, it's just the the meat of your That's of your nice. scenario. Yeah. Those words, That's yeah, no, 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 yeah, yeah, they they yeah. they don't count towards the word count, yeah. Yes, they do not count against you as far as the word count, uh, but it, they it does try and you know splitting hairs. It does say that uh, stat blocks don't count against you, but if you get a lot of verbose as far as the uh, description of the monster or description of an NPC or you know motivations for that NPC, that will count towards the uh, fifteen hundred word count. So, right, uh, just try, you know find a balance in there. But I think this is a fun scenario and. Um, it's a good opportunity to uh, just to write and get some exposure, and and this will be submitted to the Delta Green mailing list uh, that that Murph actually Murph uh, mentioned a minute ago, and um, so yeah, you get some exposure. Also, um, just yeah, if you do happen to win, usually uh, in the last several years, Shane Shane Ivy has printed the best shotgun scenario in the uh, Unspeakable Oath magazine. So I mean, that's pretty. That's pretty awesome in its own right. So you get if you win the shotgun scenario, there's a really good chance you'll be published in the Unspeakable Oath, which yep. is a fantastic magazine. So, yeah, you know, again, not right. not guaranteed, but uh, previous winners have been published. So yeah, exactly. Um, also, going back to Kickstarter quickly, um, there was another delay that was announced uh, from Chaosium for Horror in the Orient Express Kickstarter. Um, there was an update that went out a couple of days ago that pushed the ship date back for at least another month, maybe more. Um, the problem they're having is with the setup car uh, simulacrum item, uh, which they had 
produced by an overseas printer, which is actually the second printer that they've used. The first printer they had problems with. So they went to a different printer. Uh, this printer promised to have it to them by October. That hasn't happened. And now they've said, okay, November. And so hopefully uh, they can get those in and they, they need to have those in before they can start fulfilling. So as a peace offering, they have given you the copy of Cold Harvest, which is the Russian campaign set in the time of troubles in Russia in the 1950s, uh, which is looks really good. I've, I've looked through that and I actually kind of like it. Um, I haven't really delved into it much. I, I think that you guys mentioned that uh, COC 7 edition backers got that as well. Yes. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. And by the way, um, if you haven't gone to Chaosum's website lately, you should really do so because they've updated the website. I know we've mentioned that before, but it looks really, really good. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. They it did. looks really nice now. It's not, yeah. It looks nothing like it used to and looks um, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Instead it, of dated, it's a, it's like a it nice has for decades. Looking website now. Yeah, yep. it looks good. Also, uh, there was an update sent out from Oscar Rios actually at 4:30 a.m. Central Time this morning um, about the Tales of the Crescent City Kickstarter campaign. Evidently, there is still some issue with some international backers who are waiting on rewards to arrive. If you're one of those people, check your inbox. Um, Oscar's got a message for you. Basically, he wants you to email him personally so that he can uh, ship out rewards or reship out, I believe, rewards to you directly instead of using his overseas redistributor. Um, evidently, oh, there's a man. little bit of a, of a kerfuffle there. I'm not really sure what's going on, but uh, yeah, if you if you're waiting on overseas rewards, then you know, email Oscar. Uh, don't go through the Kickstarter. He said, don't. Uh, send them a message anywhere else. Email them at you know Oscar at goldengoblin.com, whatever whatever his email address is. It's in the update. I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. But anyway, he said he'll get it figured out and get you your stuff that you're waiting on. So basically the task of the individual librarian remains the same. Bringing books and people together. And for the card catalog, we have something that was shared with us on the forum by Storyteller. And with, this is a pretty cool resource here. It's just called uh, Writing Exercises. And what it is, is it's various random generators for writers to help spark some creativity. We've got things like, you know, random bits of dialogue, random scenarios, random right. characters. And it looks really cool. I've used this in the past and um, for exactly what we're prompting it for. Um, it's really good, actually. They're, they're random character generation and their um, um, random character traits and stuff like that are, are, are really quite good so far as random goes. So it, it's, um, it's not bad. It helps when you're doing a, uh, you know, you've got an NPC that you didn't flesh out because you didn't think uh, the players would actually do much with them. And then it turns out that he turns out to be a fairly important one and you need some stuff really quick. This is typically where I would end up going to uh, just click a button and get me some, uh, just some basic info about that character so you can help them out at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To, to be clear, these are not game stats. They're, they're no, no, not nothing yeah. to do with gaming. Yeah. This no, nothing. Writers. Yeah. Well, it kind of sounded like, oh, I can click this and get some get some NPCs, but you're you're just getting the uh, 
the the bones. You know, you're getting the, the, the yeah, you're you yeah, get personality stuff. Yeah, yeah, which is what you're looking for if you've already got a statted NPC, but you didn't flesh out because you didn't think would be important. It turns out he is. You know, so then you can come here and just click a button and say, okay, what's the deal? You know, click. For instance, I just click click. Generate a random character. A wise 49-year-old man who comes from a wealthy background lives in a houseboat and tends to lose track of time. So, I mean, it's it's great. You know, they're fun. Yeah. Yeah. And then we've got things like, you know, generate a town name. Right. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> that's fun. Uh, it, it's nice. That one's, yeah, that one's fun because you can choose an ending. Yeah. So, you can say generate town loan bridge and it'll give you, okay, well, we have till bridge or you know, door bridge or, you know, it just goes through the list or you can not choose anything. It just gives you a random one. It's, it's fun. That's cool. Knob Chester. Knob Chester is my next main town. <laughs> <laughs> Knob Chester. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So it's fun stuff. Yeah. It's just got some potential use for gaming, but yeah, come up with your own stats if it's a, an actual person in the game, but that doesn't take very long. If you're a yeah, and keeper making up NPCs, you don't have to roll them if you don't want to. Just write down the numbers that fit the character. Right. Yes. Also, if you're uh, if you're writing just um, a one-off scenario uh, for your local group or whatever, and you just can't think of something different to do, their random scenarios are actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, I like think of an old tree near you. Write about the family who picnicked under it for 50, 50 years ago, and the family who will pick it under it 50 years time you know i mean it's just crazy crap but it'll get you going at least yeah to uh you know to get something juices flowing enough to to uh come up with something you normally wouldn't have thought of you know which is exactly what you're looking for in that situation so i'd love to see something like this that specifically had a uh, lovecraftian uh flavor to it uh like i was just checking out the plot generator this would be kind of neat if it had that, that subtle uh, uh, mythos underlying or, or any type of horror underlying. But still, the uh, the 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 quick plot generator that I got. Your main character is a twenty is a wise twenty five year old man. The story begins in a church crypt. Someone is fired from a job. It's a story about a chase. Your character is tested to the limits of their physical endurance. I mean, that's kind of cool, you know. And and something yeah. like that really could, you know. Uh, help in as this is for writing exercises help in generate uh maybe an idea for a scenario yeah it's great i you know it's good stuff i like it it's a great idea i'm glad it's in the card catalog yep i like it too good stuff and then we have for our cryptocurium segment we are still in the month of nyarlathotep's bazaar and for week number four is an Elder Thing t-shirt, which is a really nice art print of... It looks almost like a woodcut type design. Well, it's the... Uh, isn't it the Elder Thing um, piece that he has mm-hmm. that he's... Uh, they put yeah. on yeah. the shirt. I it's, think it's the one you have, John, it's isn't like it? It's like a drawing yeah, it of is. the Elder Thing artifact that's on the store. Yep, yep. I saw that. I saw the t-shirt and I just got that artifact myself and I was like, Oh my God, there's the, there's the other thing that I just got. Yeah. 
yeah. it's good stuff. It is. Uh, cool. I think last week was the MU Archaeological Kit, which is a really cool kit too. Yeah. Yeah, that was really awesome. Yeah, that was really a, cool. A plaster uh, piece that was like a an artifact that you know there's something hidden inside, and it comes with like a brush <laughs> and a little wooden pick <laughs> that you you chip yeah, away at the been... plaster to get to whatever's inside it. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. I thought that was a great idea. It's kind of like those 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 uh, little find a dinosaur bone uh, toys that oh, you get at the museum oh, for your yeah. kids and stuff. Yep. Only this time you find an elder thing or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it seemed really cool. You chip away a hand that reaches out to you. Thank you for freeing me. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> but yeah, that'd be really cool. Um, if you could, if you could, if you could have, you know, dealt with the weight that would have been really cool to to whip out at a uh, during a game and, and incorporate it somehow. Yeah. You know, have the players actually chip away the pieces in game, you know, so they can figure out. The only bad thing is that you would have to know what was in it. Exactly. So you'd, you'd have to have a you'd have to really a keeper to do it first to know what's in it. And it might be random. There might be different things in each one. He might have made several different casts. I don't. I don't know. I don't but, think uh, so. Yeah. I asked you him think about so. It. Oh, really? You know, uh, Murph, you mentioned about using that in game. That's actually a great idea. But instead of just doing the whole weight, put it on the table. And then as the uh, maybe as the uh, characters achieve certain milestones in the scenario, allow them allow them like, you know, 30 seconds of chipping away at it. And then you just be careful okay. that they don't just obliterate the damn thing in yeah. the first blow, though, yeah. you know? Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you set certain ground rules like you must use these tools and, you know, only a certain, you know, uh, you know two strikes motion. Yeah, <laughs> you know, maybe two, two, three strikes and, and then that's it. And then so as the scenario progresses, there's this anticipation like, oh, my God, when can we, you know, what what else do we need to do to earn the ability to chip away at that? So it'd be kind of cool. Yeah, that'd be pretty neat. Yeah. And I haven't looked at it in person yet, but I'm thinking you know, this might be something that a keeper might be able to do on their own. I, I'm looking at my various little yeah. Cthulhu idols here, and I'm like, well... I don't know if I want to put one in plaster, though. That's the thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are you know those little, uh, the little plastic Cthulhu yes. idols that you can buy from the comic store and stuff? You know what I'm yeah. talking about, John. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you could get those and do that with that, and you'd have a little plastic Cthulhu idol that yeah. only costs yeah. a dollar or two. That would be really cool to do on your own. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you just coat it with enough Vaseline, it won't matter. It'll come off okay. But I still wouldn't want to do that to to one of uh, Cryptocurium's normal um, pieces. No. Though. They're they're too no. dear to me. <laughs> <laughs> I might find a, a surrogate. You know, put a rock. Yeah. You know, have them have them chip away plaster to find a rock, and then go. Okay, you found the rock. All right, let's substitute that there. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. After you clean the rock more, it looks like this. Yeah. 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 I don't know if I, I yeah, I don't know if I could do that. But anyway, <laughs> I was just thinking another alternative would be lots and lots of layers of tinfoil over a, a, an idol to make it feel like a rock. And then they had, you know, tear through that and Ooh, rip off. What about, uh, you know, you could do paper mache. Oh, you know, yeah. If you, you could do, uh, you know, like brown paper bag paper mache where, where it looks kind of brown already. Yeah. And then just build up and have them kind of rip through that. It'd you take you weeks it, to you get can... that much. Yeah, it'd take you forever to get that much in there. But 
Yeah, uh, put that would put be the really idol. Cool. Put the idol in a Ziploc baggie first. You know, get all the air out. It maybe even rubber band the baggie around the a idol. Balloon. You could do it in a big one of those big bounce yeah. balloons that you punch those punch balloon things, uh-huh. and then kind of make it out of that sort of. I don't know. There's a lot of options to that. That's yeah. a really good idea. Yeah, but that would just be a really cool game prop for something. Yeah, that would be crazy. I love that idea. But while your mind is sifting on how to do that, get online and browse Crypticurium.com. Yes, look for please look for doodads that we can you know cover up in various materials for your investigators to find. And and actually this week, uh, go get that t-shirt because it's only like 20 bucks, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Go get the t-shirt. It looks amazing and it comes in all the adult sizes. I think it goes even up to three. I looked at it because that's the size I would need. It goes up to three X. So, um, so there's, there's every size available pretty much. So go check it out. Yeah. Good shirt. Paper and pencil. It's time for your second topic. Dan, Dan, yeah, we didn't get to go to the Gen Con live panel, did we? No, <laughs> that that sucks. You guys are losers. Yeah, that was the place to be, man. You were, you were, I think, running a game at the time. I was, and I was you were uh, driving on my at way the time. home. Mm-hmm. So, so you know what we should do? We should answer those questions that were posed at Gen Con. Yep. At least the we should do- the uh, the stuff that, you know, we might have some information on. I went ahead and pasted in all the questions, but Sure. Yeah, some of these I have a couple for you. <laughs> Dan and I were going to impose ourselves into the Gen Con live panel in post. So, no one's going to stop us. <laughs> I consider we're do it. taking some time and editing out the actual audio was, of the questions. I was about to tell you, you should go oh ahead and just edit God. the questions out. You should out. edit out Murph. That would have been awesome. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would have been... I, I Well, if you would have edited me out, it would have been a, a, a very... Uh, Actually, it might have been an okay show. <laughs> no, I, 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 I kid, of course. Man, you guys, you guys did an amazing job. Yeah, and I loved listening to it. That was, it was awesome. Have we got the video for it yet? That's what I want. No. I want to watch the video for it. I oh. haven't seen that. I haven't seen the video for that, and I haven't seen the video for the uh, Saturday night uh, game. There's been technical difficulties getting the videos from Scrivens machine to oh no okay um for all of them or just for for any of it they're massive for any of it oh so we're going back and forth trying to come up with the right way of getting all that done maybe you can might be able to encode them into a smaller format so that you can download them off something we'll have to get with scriven later and figure that out because we really want to get that uh you know this this particular one up there because it has chad's amazing um history piece in it where you know oh, he crowdsources yeah. the musical instruments sounds, yeah that was so awesome God, I it just, is I loved it. ridiculous um because he made them all sit up at the front by the way it was it was quite impressive <laughs> 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 it was it was great yeah that was uh sheer brilliance on chad's part yeah so i tell you what why don't i ask you guys the questions yep. and uh and you can just answer as you uh as you see fit. Cool. Does that sound all right? Yep. No, that sounds good. Okay. Um, 
So, uh, how long does it take you to edit a podcast? <laughs> You're gonna ask questions in uh, in fans and fan voices. Yeah, might as well. So I don't I don't know who if I offend any of the fans who actually ask these questions, I, I dearly apologize. I'm just trying to make them laugh. Or John or Dan at this point. So <laughs> Yeah, so how long does it take to edit a podcast? So John, how long does it take you? Uh takes me no time whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, that's impressive. That's an impressive bit of work for no time. Yeah. It takes me no time. Because <laughs> I have no skills. <laughs> I just show well, up. We and call talk. you Luddite John. Exactly. <laughs> the secret is yeah, you, banging John. the rocks together, guy. <laughs> but uh, okay, now actually, uh, Murph, you and Chad were pretty accurate with your response at the con. It takes roughly between three and four hours of edit time for every hour of recorded audio. Okay. And so being a roughly two hour show, we're looking at it takes me about six to eight hours of editing, depending right. on other factors going on. If I have like nasty background sounds that take me longer to try and scrub that out, uh, things like that. So, yeah, it's we record on Sunday mornings at starting at roughly about 5 a.m. Central Time. I try to get everything uh, edited and fixed up and get all the proper tags in the file, the image in the file, and actually out onto the feed by 8 p.m., which is when I go to bed. Wow. So it's all day Sunday for you is what oh we're saying. Oh, my gosh. On our episode days, it is all day. Occasionally, I have no choice but to take care of it the next day after work and finish it up because i also then do the graphic that goes into the episode show notes and most of the time chad takes care of the actual show notes themselves you know like today chad's out of town so i'll be doing the show notes but it's roughly around eight hours sometimes ten because well i Fun. care about the quality there you go and it shows so. yeah it does thank, thank you. you thank you dan so uh Merv, how did you handle player death in the sense of sleight of hand, man? Do you guys have an answer for that? I uh, couldn't listen to it because no. you didn't record it. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll, we'll get over that eventually. Uh, how about... Um, one, one of your uh, players died? <laughs> like nine times. Uh, <laughs> one listener uh, offered to run a game of Trail of Cthulhu, and plans are afoot. I don't know why that's there, but we're mentioning it. Because um, it was in the show notes from the... <laughs> That episode. Oh, okay. So I- <laughs> <laughs> um, what's next for the MUP website and forums? This is something I've been mulling over for a while now. And what I would like to do with the site is move the forums from the, what they're currently residing on, which is a an installation of what's called PHP BB. So it's its own separate system for the bulletin board i want to integrate that into the primary website itself and then there's also things i can add in to essentially make our website its own little social media network for the members and i think that would really help facilitate people in the community to get together and schedule games and stuff like that that's something that i would really love to be able to do is have our own Call of Cthulhu social network 
And so that's an eventual target. It's just a matter of learning how those systems work and configuring everything and getting it all set up like on my local computer and functioning and then sending it to the remote server and getting that then going. Yeah, I've, I have plans. Um, see, the next one would be... Uh, what do you do when someone derails the story? Uh, for instance, pulling in old man Henderson. John? <laughs> uh, what do I do? I, I, you know, I don't have a, uh, uh, pat answer for that. I mean, you know, I just roll with the, the scenario. If, if one player has his character start throwing, uh, luggage and underwear outside of a window of a moving train. I just go with it, you know, and I try and, and find another way to uh, to redirect the uh, the player to uh, something more appropriate. So, yeah. And I think of that as the bomb in a brown paper sack scenario. And so, <laughs> <laughs> I'm seeing a pattern here. <laughs> I Yeah, there's a there's a Are pattern. You- do you guys normally play with a guy you refer to as Old Man Henderson? I, I don't understand. I have no idea what that's supposed to refer to. To me, it sounds like <laughs> something from Scooby Doo. Yeah, it, it, um, I think it should be Old Man Murphy. Is uh, the way I oh, think. Of it. <laughs> All right, let's get off this subject. <laughs> so, what do you do with timid players who play so cautiously that they don't engage with the plot out of fear? You know, actually, and I do uh, have experience with this. So, in fact, at uh, Gen Con, there was a father and son who uh, joined one of my games. And the son was a teenager. I mean, he clearly looked like he was in high school. Uh, But still, you know, this was uh, something that seemed like it wasn't really his uh, forte. Like, maybe he he enjoyed doing some role-playing and stuff with his dad, but uh, he wasn't really diving deep into uh, into the game. And, you know... I, I let the scenario go, you know, and, and the, the players are playing for quite a while. So I know I've, I've had an opportunity to hear voices from all of the uh, players. But with that, with that timid uh, player, eventually I, I start putting things in their lap. I mean, I, I, I ensure that, that there are certain clues and certain decisions that they need to make. And, uh, and, you know, by that point, I mean, I, I, by that point in a scenario, because it's not something that I do early on, I definitely wait for a while so that I can see if it's just naturally that player's going to come into the game. Uh, but definitely they've had an opportunity to see all of the other players get on stage and, and, and have uh, some limelight. Uh, so at a certain point, I will make sure that certain clues and certain decisions need to be made by that player, at least one. Uh, and then hopefully they've had that uh uh, opportunity in game to to see everybody else be in the limelight and have that comfort level then to step up also and and make those decisions. Uh, but I was very lucky in the uh, Gen Con game where the uh, father and son participated. That uh, when I did do that, none of the other players like pressured or egged him on or anything like that. They they were very respectful and just you know and waited and and uh, uh, the dad was you know being very encouraging and stuff. And, and then his son uh, participated and he had a good time. So yeah, that's, that's the, what I try and do with uh, timid players. And how do you, how do you deal with that? It's not really something I've had to deal with much because you've I've played never, with us for too long. <laughs> yeah, well, I've never run at a convention and every 
anybody that I've ever run for has been experienced gamers. And it's usually not a an issue of they're playing too cautiously. They're usually running in way too recklessly and they could use more caution. Whatever do you mean? <laughs> I, I found that's far more common than, you know, being overly cautious is, uh, you know, no, we don't need to bother researching the house. Let's just go in. And so that's (laughs) that seems to be my that's my biggest problem with masks right now as well, to be honest with you. Yeah. Which which I almost had a an entire party TPK yesterday. I killed everybody but one. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if they would have agreed, but yeah, it was pretty impressive. Are you (laughs) in Africa yet? Are the characters in Africa? Oh, dude, they're still in London, man. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So yeah, they got to what could have been the end of London. Uh and then they um they made some poor choices and they paid for it. Mm-hmm. And the cowardly character got away. <laughs> wow. It sounds like what you need in your game is a ringer. Somebody who is familiar with the scenario and is willing to be have, like the listen, inside guy to help guide it to the plot. I have Don't you I have, have several players? Yeah, I have a couple. <laughs> That's the thing. Uh I will say that the ringer um is the one that survived. The one who's who's played it before has did survive through it. Um, but through no fault of his own, um, I, I think that he was playing his character and that was the only reason that he survived. Um, but it was, it, it came down to luck whether or not he survived or not, to be honest with you. And, and he lived, uh, as opposed to another guy. So it could have just as easily have been <laughs> another character. So, wow. Yeah. I got no problem killing characters. They have no problem with me killing them either. So, Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and lastly, uh, what other live plays are you can planning on releasing? Well, I'm glad you asked, generic fan. Um, mm. <laughs> generic Southern van, uh, fan. Um, I actually have a group that I've started, and uh, we've been recording our games, and so I'm going to try and get those on our uh, live play feed. Uh, we've had uh, five or six sessions now, and they typically run about two hours long. But, you know, I'm sure there's only about uh, an hour and a half worth of actual uh, gameplay. Unfortunately, for the first three times that we met to play, uh, we had uh, technical failures. And so uh, episodes one, two and three are actually just um, uh, scenario summaries that I recorded separately on my own. Uh, but. Uh, episodes four and on we've been successful in our recordings so those are actual uh recordings but uh i need i need to get them because we record uh or i'm recording via the google live google live hangout type thing yeah Yeah. and so that goes to my uh, youtube account and i've got to uh, pull that down and then strip the video out or or the audio out, whatever, however you want to think of it. So it's just the audio instead of the, uh, the whole video thing and then, uh, get that posted. So I just need to get a little bit of instruction on, on how to do that. And we should start getting the, uh, the live plays from the, uh, Midwest madness group. So, okay. so that's coming up. We're, we're playing the haunting actually also, uh, which I've, I've done a lot of, uh, uh personal updates to it. So, Hopefully it will be a an episode of the haunting unlike you've ever heard or experienced before. And uh, and Dan, uh, what do you plan on doing? 
I've got, well, we have the live play sessions that are designated for the Indiegogo campaign. I'm going to get those edited up and and, uh, released out to those backers. And then I've also got uh, eight sessions of our maps campaign, which I need to get put together and out there onto the feed. It's just the, my time and energy has been woefully lacking lately so i'm uh, behind on getting that stuff out there but i do have the recordings here of eight full sessions through the campaign and uh, we've got new characters we've got really bizarre actions taken (laughs) some murders made it's uh it's gonna be a fun time (laughs) i i wanted to let you know dan uh in my uh in my game where I'm running the haunting, I made use of maps. So the players are all members of maps. Cool. Yeah. The, um, maps, uh, uh, investigators handbook that I wrote up is with Scriven currently for layout and edit. So that'll be going out to backers and it's, I don't know, maybe eight pages or something like that of this is the booklet that somebody would be handed whenever they join maps. Very cool. Suggestion. And, you know, well, take a scenario, do some analysis, and go over whatever each individual approaches would be. So, okay. And these are suggestions for uh, things we should do with the oh, uh, no. is this podcast. Is this actually yeah, part of these, the thing? Both yeah. of these are suggestions for the show. Yeah. So for, yeah. A, for, for not for right topic. now, but for later. Yeah. Oh, I got you. For, for a, a future topic. Yeah. Take a mm-hmm. scenario. I remember that now. And, yeah, go over that at which actually kind of goes with the second one which is go over scenarios in depth with spoilers yeah which i think is a really good idea yeah yeah Yeah. i think someone had brought up um, to be on the roadmap yeah i think that someone had actually brought up doing something like masks you know with the spoilers which by this point if you've played call of cthulhu and you've not at least heard masks then you know you should have some idea of what it is at least um Mm -hmm. And if you want to run it, you just don't listen to that is, is basically what the theory would be. Right. Or if you want to play it, you don't listen. If you want to run it, you definitely listen. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to play it, then you don't get. listen. Yeah. No kidding. Um, yeah. I thought those are both good, uh, yeah. great suggestions and for, for the show big, topics in the future. Big ones like that. I would say, hey, for this uh, episode, we're going to do the New York chapter of masks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it's so huge. And yeah, there are oh, uh, yeah. Campaigns that we could do that just break it into its chunks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and yeah, I, it, it, it can get pretty massive too, depending on how much info we bring in. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's a great idea. I think it's something we should we should go into. Yeah, I do too. Right. I think that's a good idea. Well, guys, I really appreciate you coming to the uh, the MUP live show here at Gen Con. Yeah, uh, glad you two could make it <laughs> in post. <laughs> yeah. Yes. After you the know, fact. while we're and splice we're, in the crowd uh, applause right now. That'd be great. <laughs> and uh, while we're talking about Gen Con, there was uh, one uh, anecdote I want to do uh, uh, to bring up. It was something I forgot when I did the uh, the scenario or the the episode about my. Gen Con experience in one of the games that I was running, it's uh, the transatlantic terror scenario. I have an NPC that is uh, 
noted and, and, and I run this particular uh, woman as uh, very aloof, very just she doesn't want to engage at all with any of the uh, other characters, uh, especially obviously the investigators. Uh, and she's just very, very rude, just a terrible, terrible woman. And uh, so in this one particular uh, game that I was running uh, with these folks, I had been telling them, you know, because they had I tried to approach her on two or three occasions. And I said, you know, she just she just gets up and leaves. You know, when you come to her, she just, you know, puts down her napkin if they're trying to approach her as she's eating. And, and she just walks away. She just wants nothing to do with anybody. And I had done that several times in 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 just, you know, describing it. So I finally had this idea and this one uh, character, this one player says his character wants to go up and talk to her. So I tell the player, I said, well, role play, tell show me, you know, what you do with her. And so he doesn't miss a beat. He just, he just kind of slips into character and he starts talking to me as he does that. I just, I just abruptly stand up from the table and bolt and walk away from the game table. And all of the players, all of the players, you know, were like, what? what just happened you know and i got like four feet away and then i stopped and i turned and looked back over my shoulder and i have these blank looks on their faces and then finally the players went oh dude that was mean you know because i just <laughs> i just did to them in live what what that character had been doing and finally they were like oh that was that was pretty good but yeah it, i asked them what they thought of that at first and they were like we had no idea what you were doing you just you just left. We didn't know what was going on, you know. So, so that was fun. <laughs> yeah, one of those things right. that you can really only do effectively in live. Mm-hmm. Settle down now, class. It's time for your next lesson. another era it's an impressive era opening i have to admit um so for this era we're talking about science fiction yes which technically could be any era but i took it as a future far future type of thing yeah that's awesome that's fine i like that i'm all for that in fact, I played that for a long time. And John, you kind of suggested this. So was this even remotely what you were thinking of? Well, no, not exactly. <laughs> because <laughs> what I what I was thinking of is uh, one of my favorite uh, Lovecraft stories is uh, uh, Cool Air. And I love the uh, the device that's that's in that story. And it's very science fiction. And and. So many of uh, Lovecraft's stories ran the gambit between humor and 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 hard psychological 
uh, horror and also science fiction. And so I was curious on how people would, uh, how, how you guys, you know, how keepers would, uh, uh, use science fiction in your, uh, in your games, especially I was thinking in a, in a twenties era, uh, scenario, how do you, uh, infuse, uh, science fiction or, or anything that's, you know, uh, a stretch of, of modern science, that kind of thing. For well, example, you, no, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say the first thing you should do if you wanted to do 20 science fiction is to go and buy Cubicle 7's wonderful Rocket Age source book, um, which is fantastic retro future sci-fi. Oh, sure. Sure. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. very... It's, uh, like, it's like 50s sci-fi kind of thing. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's a uh, uh, Flash Gordon kind of stuff, right? Buck Rogers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Buck Rogers kind of thing. It's a little more than that, but that's that's really oversimplifying it. But it's uh, you know, it's good. But it, I like uh, I like sci-fi in general. I, and I I was when I read it, I was more in line with what I think Dan had in mind of it yeah. as well, like future sci-fi stuff as opposed to. Uh, the subtle sci-fi that uh, that's in some stuff like Cool Air or or the Mego Brain Canisters of uh, mm-hmm. you know stuff like that. So we're, we're a little at odds on 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 topics. So which topic are we going to talk about? Well, we can do the the we can do the science fiction, the future uh, that you guys were thinking of as okay. far as an era, which is okay, which is fine because I I enjoy that too. In fact, uh, uh, there's a there's a game. Uh, that I really enjoy, um, the void, which is Lovecraftian. Yeah, it, it's you know we played that right. Isn't that yeah, we played. Yeah, we yeah. played the void, and it's yeah. you know it's, it's good. Yeah, there's a couple of others. Space. So yeah, yeah, it's great. It's yeah. it's got mechs and and crazy. Um, yeah, the the mechs that's part of uh, Cthulhu Tech. That's Cthulhu Tech. That's right. It's yeah. the other sci-fi one. Yeah, right. Same Cthulhu company. Tech. Though. Yeah, it's and both the void. made by Wildfire. Uh, right. And yeah, Cthulhu Tech's got the the mechs and all that stuff. I enjoy the void uh, because it's more, it feels more like uh, the movie Alien. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, that kind of uh, tech level and and uh, the horror and stuff that would go with that. Yeah. Um, it, it, I actually, I brought this up early in our shows. I, I think that Warhammer 40K RPG is fantastically dark and uh has a lot of mythos mythosy uh crazy crap in it uh I and is agree. a it is a really cool system regardless of whether like you whether or not you like games workshop um that is a fantastic rpg the combat is brutal uh the world setting has been so fleshed out over decades and decades Mm-hmm. That there is no possible aspect of it that you could not know if you went to look for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, there are available ship plans. There's um, every potential brigade of any army or 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 um, space marine chapter has been fleshed out. I mean, it's the the possibilities are bloody endless. Um, and it's a really, really cool setting. I really like that setting. Um, of course, I'm a fan of Warhammer 40K, so that would explain that. But I really like that, and I think it ties in well with people who want uh, to roll a dark horror sci-fi. Um, 
that's 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 the creme de la creme for me for dark horror sci-fi. Yeah, it's it's really cool. Uh, Fantasy Flight has uh, uh, three RPGs uh, for that. I'm trying to look up their names right I now. I think they have more than that now. They have Rogue Trader, which was uh, you know you they play have their three yeah trader. they have their three core for it. Yeah, they have uh, Dark, Dark Heresy. Yeah, Dark Heresy, which Rogue is trader. the first one. Um, then they have the um, first and only. Or no, not first and only. Um, well, they have only war. Only war. That's it. Which yeah. is the uh, the infantry one, which I really like as well. It's a really yeah. cool one where you play uh, a member of the Imperial Infantry, one of the billions of trillions of you they, know, groups that they, you can play. Yeah, and they have Death Watch. Which is, yeah, they have Death Watch, which is where you can make your own Warhammer. Uh, yeah. Or I'm sorry. Um, um, space Marine. Thank you. Space, space Marine uh, chapter and play its own unit and, or play as a part of another unit, whatever. Um, those my are the favorite. Four yeah. My favorite of that group is Dark Heresy. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, Dark Heresy was the first they came out with. That's the Inquisitor based one. Yep. Um, it's fantastic. I own it. It's wonderful book. Not only that, but it's a fantasy flight book. So the production value of it is impeccable. You know, it's a it's a really nice hardback with full page, color glossy pages. I mean, they're it's a beautiful book. They all are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the system, I actually enjoy the system, which is derived from the old Warhammer uh, fantasy RPG, um, and then tweaked uh, a little bit more by F- uh, Fantasy Flight whenever they got it. Yeah, yeah. When they picked that up, they did not do a radical change to the game system, which is not at all. I'm glad they didn't. You know, uh, they, well, you they compare that to what Fantasy Flight has been creating out of whole cloth for their Star Wars with yeah. uh, uh, with the funky dice that do uh, well. See, that's storytelling the thing. They, dice. They did that with um, actually Warhammer Fantasy. Uh, the I think it was yes. fourth edition when they first yep. came out with that. I have that box set. And it's crazy. It's got all the the weird dice in it, and it's got all kinds of strangeness in there. And it's not that same system. And I think that was, personally, I think that was a mistake because Warhammer Fantasy was a fantastic game. uh, And the system was was what it was known for. And then they took the system away from it and turned over to this more of a board game style storytelling card-based system. And it's it's just not as... It's not as good, if you ask me. No, we're, you and I are on the same sheet of music for that. Yeah. Um, however, um, these games do not have that. Nope. <laughs> nope, they don't. These games are fantastic. Uh, and they're, 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 they're D100-based. Uh, it's yep. a slightly different uh, uh, D100-based system than Call of Cthulhu. But right. again, it's something that I think Call of Cthulhu fans uh, would uh, gravitate towards very easily. Yeah, um, it's not hard to figure these, out. It's, yeah, it, it has um, very brutal combat. Um, you get hit and you are hurt. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh uh, yeah. It's uh, it's quick too. It's not very it's not very complicated combat system. So it's not as I wouldn't say it's as complicated as as uh, you know like Call of Cthulhu's Chaosium uh, BRP system could be. Uh, it can be. There's some optional rules that you can throw in there that can make it fairly detailed even. But um, I, overall, I really like the Warhammer um, 40K RPG series in general. They're really fun games. They're 
they're dark, they're sci-fi, it's real gritty, and then you have all these void monsters that you can pull in, which are very, very Lovecraftian, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Whole, yeah. Whole chaos thing, you know. It's great. Yep. It's really, really good. Okay. I was wondering where the horror was supposed to be in there, because I have no oh. 40k things, and all I know is I've seen artwork of guys with shoulder pads the size of Volkswagens. <laughs> well, see, that's yeah, those are the that's the thing about uh, 40K is I actually don't like the Space Marines that much, which is almost like heresy to say that. But um, my favorite part of the 40K is the Inquisitors and then the infantry. OK, uh, the thing with 40K is that there's been this rip in dimensions, I guess you would call it. And these chaos warriors, these evil horror antithesis warriors that are part of the empire from an alternate dimension have, are flooding through and trying to take over this dimension basically you know really 40k guys are going to kill me for that but then there's this whole thing called the void and the void is what you travel through like that's their answer to light space right so you can't travel faster than light but what you can do is slip into the void which allows you to travel great distances through the void and then you come out wherever you were or wherever you were going. Um, okay. And unfortunately, there's these these horrible, unknowable, godforsaken beasts that live within the void. And occasionally they come out and, and you know, influence people and destroy worlds. And it's good stuff. But there's a yeah. lot of cults. There's a, a heavy, heavy cult activities in, in Warhammer 40K or in Warhammer in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have a lot of cults that are, you know, evil cults that are trying to thwart the local governments or the local planetary governments, depending on what version you're playing. Um, it's it, there's a lot of horror in it. Believe me, it's a very dark. It's very very dark. Um, it's not known for being a happy happy joy joy kind of game. No, 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 no. Yeah, very dark, and it's. It's a lot of fun. I think a lot of Call of Cthulhu players would enjoy, uh, especially like like Murph said, the uh, Dark Heresy, the Inquisitor level, or uh, the infantry uh, type of books, uh, and Rogue Trader too. Uh, but that, Rogue Trader is good too. Yeah, that skews. I mean, they're uh, they're all good. They're just different aspects yeah. of the same over yep. overall setting, which is which is flipping huge. I mean, it's the world I mean, system that they've created for Warhammer has. I mean, it, it is massive. And so these are just four separate books that they've centered yeah. on one aspect of this huge setting that they've created. Well, they talk about how you can take a character and graduate it from one of the right. games to the other. So you can start with a, an Inquisitor and in Dark Heresy and then go to Rogue Trader. And then, you know, if you wanted to go the path or somehow your your character's story um allowed you to become a, uh, uh, a space marine you could go into that direction as well so yeah it's it's really interesting it's a really cool system um i like it personally i wish i could play more of it honestly me too yeah it's really good especially dark heresy that'd be my favorite yeah um I, yeah anyway that's enough yeah of that. i was gonna say uh in contrast um uh, the void uh from wildfire games that is explicitly set it is a, a lovecraft mythos sci-fi setting uh so it, it uses 
uh, all the creatures and gods from from uh, Lovecraft's mythos that you're familiar with. Uh, but now it's set where, uh, well, as with the void, humanity has um, explored and, in some cases, colonized our our solar system. Uh, so it doesn't go beyond our solar system. Uh, and there's a uh, there's a comet uh, uh, coming into our solar system, and that is uh, basically uh, a chunk of Azathoth or whatever. Uh, and it, it's terrible. sort of yeah, <laughs> and it's it, so it, bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, On it, levels it, of things that could go wrong with a solar system, having a chunk of Azathoth comet <laughs> streaking through it towards Earth might be at the top of the ocean list. Yeah. I mean, yeah. come on. <laughs> Good and, Lord. And that is part of like the the meta story for the game itself. So uh, it's not like one scenario where that just comes in. But it's it's like this looming threat uh, where it's uh, coming ever closer. And because as it gets closer, it's awakening uh, a lot of things that were dormant and uh, and they're becoming a lot stronger in the void. Uh, they they also tried to overcome the the scenario of why are these characters coming together? Uh, so all of your investigators in the void uh, belong to a uh, global or universal uh, police force, and you're basically um, you're, you're like special investigators in that uh, police force uh, that have uh, knowledge that yes, there is something odd out there in the in the solar system and uh you're working to fight against it but also uh keep it quiet so that the uh, general masses don't get uh panicked into a hysteria now on the on the flip side of games that don't have any horror in them whatsoever uh that you could incorporate it into i think that traveler the original you know i mean age-old fan favorite of traveler the sci-fi rpg i've played traveler with horror based you know it's not hard to do you just you know pull in some crazy crap and, and go alien on it and boom you're you've got some crazy stuff happening you know what i mean um i think i traveler has its own setting um but i personally do not like it whatsoever <laughs> i might be uh, a lone wolf there but i don't like the traveler world setting however i like the traveler system i think it's really an interesting system it's just kind of you know stood the test of time for a while now and uh, I think that that's another option if you want to run a a more traditional sci-fi space setting you should use think of something like Traveler and then just add in some Lovecraftian beasties um, instead of floating in in, in the sky they just uh, float in space instead or, or they show up in airlocks or whatever it, it can get really interesting really quick yeah I mean that's an idea I, I personally am of the other camp where for traveler, I do like it to be a uh, space opera. Uh, not no, I mean, much. I'm staying. Yeah. Keep the space opera or whatever, but just, yeah. you can add in some, uh, some, some horror bits there to make it a little more interesting. I find, I think another good uh, setting would be, uh, cause I was always a big fan of this when I was a kid is a uh, gamma world. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I love gamma I haven't world. thought of that in a long time. Yeah. Camel. Uh, Love Gamma World, Gamma World, and also uh, Metamorphosis Alpha, which is kind of getting a, yeah, we've a resurgence. I guess Metamorphosis Alpha has been around for a while through different uh, uh, versions. I wasn't aware of it. I guess it's up to like its fourth version. But Goodman Games is reprinting its uh, first edition of the game, and and it's also 
Goodman is um, putting out some new scenarios that are comparable or compatible with the first edition of uh, Metamorphosis Alpha. And uh, there's no reason why that game couldn't go gonzo yeah. with horror stuff. Uh, yeah. The other, you know, the other option, um, which isn't a stretch at all, is uh, GURPS. I played a lot of GURPS, and GURPS has rules for everything, literally. So it is not hard at all to pull to do GURPS sci-fi, and then just pull in and use the GURPS horror book along with it. And I know a lot of people don't like GURPS because it can be very, very crunchy. But a lot of that is optional rules, and the system on its own is not a bad system. And it's it, they have a a wealth of information for GURPS. I mean, they they're one of those companies that really prides themselves on doing some really detailed books on, um, you know, background info and, and just the minutia of detail that they include in, in a lot of their, um, um, setting books is, is unbelievable. Um, so I think that's a very, a very, very good possibility to use or a very good option to use uh, as well as use the GURPS books because they've already got everything fleshed out with their tech level system. So mm-hmm. you could just play a game and, you know, like tech level 17 or something and then pull in the GURPS horror books and pull in the GURPS ultra ultra tech book or whatever. And you can have all kinds of crazy stuff go down. Yeah, I I've always kind of looked at the GURPS books as being a resource regardless of what you're actually playing. Yeah, they're so good that they're that you can. Yeah, you strip out the rules if you're not using them and they're still like right. a massive book full of stuff. Yeah, which is why I like the GURPS horror book for Call of Cthulhu players so much, uh, especially the new edition, the fourth edition we talked to uh, um, Ken, Ken Hyde about. Yeah, yeah it, it's uh, I have a copy of that. Um, I need to review it, actually. But um, it, it's a fantastic book. It's got so much information in there. And a lot of it is centered on gurps but once you pull the gurps stuff out you have a whole crap load of information that is just generic horror role-playing info that you can just use for anything and the same goes for their gurps sci-fi the gurps ultra tech you know all of that gurps gurps anything gurps mecha gurps cars you know gurps weapons is a ridiculously detailed book you know what i'm saying gurps 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 um but yeah gurps is a great is a great resource in general, I find. Whether or not you like the system, you can't argue with the level of detail that Steve Jackson includes in those books. Yeah. You know, as far as general ideas for uh, setting, you know, say if you're doing the, the space-based thing, there's a couple of different approaches to it that I tend to uh, have is you've got the two uh, ideas of either space travel is i don't know i guess you could think of it as being more analog or digital you've got digital is more of the star trek everything's shiny there's very few actual moving parts anywhere it's all solid state super high tech you know the enterprise it has you know these chips that you isolinear chips that you pop out and it's just lines it's like a circuit board without any actual pieces on it and everything's very smooth and streamlined and everything's well lit and clean and that would actually be very fun to drop something mythosy into because it so drastically turns everything on its head mm-hmm. 
And then there's the analog, which is where I put my most of my favorite type stuff. That's the alien. That's Firefly. That's, you know, the Millennium Falcon. It feels like it's more of a Star Wars in general. Yeah. Yeah. You know, whereas uh, Jordi LaForge is an engineer. Han's a mechanic. (laughs) Right. I think that's the that's the age old uh, dilemma between, you know, Star Trek versus Star Wars that we probably shouldn't get into. But uh, <laughs> both are valid settings. I think a, a better option would be how, how you should plan a horror-based sci-fi game in space. There's several options there. You can, you can do a purely ship-based scenario where everything is centered and occurs on a single vessel floating in space somewhere or traveling in space. Um, and then there's the traitor type. You know, uh, made famous by Wing Commander Three, I think, Privateer, where you're the, uh, you know, you're a a particular Firefly type, I would call it, where you're an actual trader who's um, moving between port and port on different planets, um, transferring goods and doing whatnot. So you actually get off the ship at different locations and whatnot. Yeah. And then there's the. Uh, yeah, I like that type of. Yeah, then there's the uh, the purely planetary based, you know, the Blade Runner style, where you have you know the the future setting that you never leave the planet on, so you're always uh, Terra bound at least uh, on maybe not Earth but somewhere else. Um, and it, all of those are valid options, and there's more than that. I'm sure I just can't think of them off the top of my head. Yeah, you know, but. What I was thinking of was the analog, I think, lends itself much more cleanly to horror stuff because it's dirty. You know, the engines require grease to have the moving parts function. There's dirt, there's dust. It it feels lived in, whereas the the more Trek example is that, well, there's no moving parts, so there's no lubricants that might get dripped somewhere and it just it's just clean and shiny all the time it doesn't have to be that way i i I think that what this is going back a little bit to the warhammer example but the warhammer example if you took just on the surface it's the what you would call the digital version right which isn't quite right but it's very, very dirty and dark and nasty, mainly because they've forgotten how to create these starships. So all the ships are ancient. They're like thousands of years old. So they're all dusty and worn down and dirty and they're falling apart. And they've got these guys who do nothing more than just pray to try and keep the ship in one piece. I mean, it's it can be dark and dirty and nasty and still be no moving parts and, and of that same technological level as Star Trek. So the you know, ship started uh, off in the shiny, clean, yeah, they, they lit time, but then they've just, they're right. so old that <laughs> the lights they're are so flickering. damn old. Yeah. That everything, yeah. Only half the lights work. You know, people haven't been to three or four of the decks in the last 2000 years. There's a whole sub race of individuals that live in the bilge that they've forgotten about. Um, you know, they've never left the ship. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it gets ridiculous, you know? Um, so, I mean, there's a whole bunch of options you can pull in and that doesn't have to just be for the digital. You could do that with the analog or what you describe as analog types as well. Um, but I think it lends that, that 
sense lends itself more to the digital because the ship itself is is its own entity, which isn't as prone to breaking down mm-hmm. as it is in in the analog. Whereas in the analog, it's you know it's a constant battle to keep the ship afloat. You know, kind of Firefly, the damn you know Serenity always broke down. You know what I mean? Yeah, because Mal was cheap. This thing was all yeah, Mal was cheap, and and you could only do so much. However, with with these style of ships, the ship is not going to break down on a day to day mission. You know, at first, at least. Uh, but because they're so old, you you age them by a thousand years, and now yeah, they might break down. But if they break down, you know, oh my gosh, there is no help <laughs> because no one. You know, you, you have to, you know, order a part from another part of the galaxy that might take, you know, 300 years to show up. So, I mean, you're screwed if the ship breaks down, which adds a whole different aspect to it, you know, I think. But um, Yeah, I like just, the idea of just, corruption of the bright and shiny lifestyle. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a really cool idea that I, I really dig. I think it's one of the reasons I like uh, the Warhammer you know, um, ships so much other than the fact that they look like giant medieval cathedrals floating through space. Um, I mean, they are swords, some of them are swords, like giant yeah, swords, yeah. giant swords. And, um, but yeah, that's, that's the whole deal with them. Now there is other races within the Warhammer, uh, universe that, that have the, that nice, shiny, everything works kind of technology, but the playable races typically are not them. Uh, the humans have, they were that way, but now things have gone to hell. Did they introduce the Eldar? I can't remember. In the, I, don't, uh, I don't think um, they've done that. I don't, I don't think, think it's not as a playable race. At no. least. I don't think so, not yet. That's who we're talking about there is the Eldar or the Tau maybe even. Yeah. Um, who are, are, are really, really technologically advanced, like Star Trek level advanced, maybe even more. Um, where everything is nice, bright, clean, shiny, you know, and... Uh, it's Kills a stark contrast. Yeah, very efficient killing machines. <laughs> and it's a very stark contrast to the uh, Earth-based systems, which are um, falling apart and on their last legs, but still very impressive ships in their own right. Okay. Yeah, because like I said, I, I have no experience with the whole... Uh... We're going to have to school you a little bit on, on the, the Warhammer 40k RPG, I think, because that's a really fun system. I, I think you would get a lot of joy out of playing it. Yeah, I think you would enjoy Dark Heresy. It's a yeah, it's a good introduction. Yeah, it really is. Okay. But if you do the ship, the ship based, uh, I like ship based only, like where you're stuck on a ship and you can't get off. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of like the alien thing, you know, where they're all stuck on a boat and it's floating and you can't get out and something oh, comes absolutely. to kill everyone. Yep. You know what I mean? That's yeah. that's fantastic because you have everyone contained. Run outside yeah. to the yard. Exactly. Well, could, Everybody's contained. Take an hour to suit up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Even then, you can't do much once yeah. you do it. You know. So you know it keeps everyone in one place for the most part, um, and then you just have to you know throw stuff at them until something breaks. Basically, uh, it's a. I love that option, and if you do that option, we. I think Dan, you found some some really cool deck plans and stuff for yeah. different various ships. I am a big fan of spaceships and I really enjoy making deck plans for them. And I, so, I'm right there with you. Yeah. So I've got some various uh, links here that I've used over the years. I've got the star Wars deck plan Alliance, which is got 
you know, just all sorts of stuff people have made for very Star Warsy specific type of ships. And, you know, those are are nicely uh, done where they're they're pretty uniform in all these different people that have used similar elements. You know, they all look consistent. Uh, Shipschematics.net is kind of cool because it takes it goes for specifically four different series and unfortunately it doesn't seem to actually be the deck plans per se it's more like really good graphics of ships on the outsides unfortunately because that part was a little disappointing but it's still a neat site it's got star trek battlestar galactica babylon 5 and space battleship yamato also known as star wow yeah that's cool so there's, I was a big fan of that as well. Yeah. <laughs> so there's really good images of all the various ships and some fan-made ones of from all four of those particular series. All right, I just posted one in there that I had used in the past, which is uh, uh, deck plans for traveler-based ships, which it's traveler, but it, it actually has a quite a bit of really cool... Um, just generic ship plans that you can use. So it's really cool in that sense. A lot of deck plans. Yeah. Different, some, they have some weird ship styles in Traveler too, which I really like because they have a whole class of ships that aren't meant for uh, orbital landing. You know, they're small, but they're round. So they don't land because gravity would just make them fall apart. Yeah. So I, I think those are really, those are really fun, you know, where you, you have these, boats that you can't actually get to the planet surface on um which is normal i guess but it's something like on the serenity size it's like the size of a you know of the firefly boat but it can't it can't get in a gravity well oh you know because it'll so it'll actually bit. fall apart normally you just see that in the the gigantic in giants. you know yeah the capital scale yeah now the flip side of that is there's also some giant like capital size ships that can land <laughs> that's, that's that's when things get really weird yeah so uh, that it's fun though you know it's different enough to make it interesting and there's there i mean if you search online you just google for spaceship deck plans basically and you'll come up with like a bajillion different ones of them i'm there used to be a really cool group of um deck plans a group that used to do it like mad they used to make just some crazy blueprints for uh deck plans very similar to what's on uh deck plan alliance mm-hmm. um and the fact this guys might be deck plan alliance now i don't know if they're i think they may have merged i don't i don't know but it wasn't strictly star wars based you know what i mean yeah it was more of a generic guys but they had that same style of um very detailed uh deck plans of you know the way that the one that you linked has the way that the deck plan alliance does it but they just weren't star trek or star wars based uh ships and i just can't find that now yeah yeah and then there's a site that i've used on a number of occasions just to get an idea of scale because when you're looking at a vessel that's just against a star field it's really hard to get an idea it's like okay how would theoretically serenity compare to the millennium falcon and 
there's a ship or a, a site that the URL I is kind of weird. Merzco. Merzo. Yeah, M-E-R-Z-O. But <laughs> it's got different scales on each tab, starting with yeah. like the human scale. One pixel equals one centimeter. Everything on right. the page is exactly <laughs> to scale with each other. And so it's human scale stuff. So you've got various robots. You've got a Rancor on there, Predators, bugs from uh, Starship Troopers. Ewoks. <laughs> yep, Ewoks, R2-D2, yeah. Yoda. On the, and on the flip end of that, they, they have one that's just labeled as BIG in, in capital B-I-G. Yeah. And there's only two items there, which is appropriate. One is Ringworld, and then the other is Dyson Sphere, mm-hmm. which both are ridiculously large. If you guys have no concept of what that is, we're talking... Ringworld has a diameter of what I think 300 million kilometers, yeah, which dwarfs most things in our solar system by far. I, I love the idea. Each pixel on this tab equals 500,000 kilometers on a side, right? On a side, yeah, <laughs> on a side. It's so nuts. I mean, it's it's really, really impressively large. Yeah, but <laughs> it's it, just nuts. It has things from all all sorts of different you know genres and and things. There's even stuff from uh, books. You know, yeah. So. Well, they have Unicron. Unicron's in there. Yes. You know, I mean, they have all kinds of crazy stuff in there. Um, yeah. What else have they got? It's great to be able to take Unicron and compare him to both of the Death Stars because that's been a very lengthy <laughs> debate. That's, debate. That's the yeah yeah that's the uh, Transformers nerd version of the Trek version versus Star Wars thing of Death Star. Right. And, and guess guess what? Unicron is is huge and to Death Star not so much. Yeah. <laughs> the Death Star is a chicken McNugget. Yeah. The, to the, the to the Unicron's second. chicken. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. It's 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 insanely large. And then but then you have something like um Halo, the actual Halo from the game, which yeah. is ridiculously large. I mean really big. Almost ring world size, but not quite. Yeah. Actually, it's nowhere near world size. It's a, it's 10,000 kilometer diameter of the main body, which is still extremely large. But considering for, for scale sti- size, I mean, Death Star was, you know, 120 or 160 kilometers. So, yeah, that's big. I, I just love this site. This thing's been around for years. Yeah, this is a great. I'm finding this in the late 90s. Yeah, me too. It, I've. I was really excited when they put the Eve ships in there from Eve Online, which I think are on the, is it the 100 picks? No, 10 picks. Yeah, the 10 picks and the 100 picks page has some Eve ships on it. Mainly the negative 10, 10X, which are 10 meters to a side. Okay. So you have like the Super Star Destroyer there, but right underneath there you have Omar, the Omar Avatar ship from uh, Eve and then the uh, Galante Erebus ship. They are just massive ships. Those are really, really cool. And then right there in the list as well is Lex, which is really cool because I love Lex, too. Yeah. And Lex is far bigger than you normally would think of because there's not much in comparison to her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And and there's your uh, there's your Warhammer 40K ship there. The Imperial Retribution class battleship Bloodhawk from the Battlefleet Gothic. Seven and a half kilometers long. That's pretty big, man. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I wanted to see in certain browsers, you can actually drag the images on top of each other. Oh, wow. And it doesn't seem to work in my Firefox. It, it might have been an IE thing from back in the day. 
Hmm. But uh, it's something at least they used to be able to do. But I think this is just a really fun resource for being able to figure out, okay, it's somewhere between this and this as far as scale goes. Yeah, it's it's a really cool. I like this site. I'm glad you brought it up because I'd forgot about it. And now I get to go and stare at it and wish <laughs> I was in space again. Yeah. <laughs> and, and just... For the uh, uh, record, Serenity is about twice the size of the Millennium Falcon. The Falcon's tiny. Huh. Yeah, the Falcon's little. It's uh, it's funny, though. You, you always think of it as large. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then it has the TARDIS right there underneath Serenity, so that way you get the, count, the comparison with that. And then they put real-world <laughs> stuff in there, like a uh, Boeing 747. Right. But, That's good uh, stuff, man. Yeah. <clears throat> Another site that I found that I have used in the past for gaming uh, is one called artships.com. And these are spaceships that are basically pieces of artwork that this guy makes out of just scrap pieces of stuff that he comes across. And he glues them together and then paints them. And so they're not, you know, deck plans, but they're really creative looking ships. These are fantastic. And I have made deck plans for ships that this guy's made before. No kidding. Yeah, this is great, man. These guys, he really makes some detailed stuff. Yeah, there's one that I'm not finding going through the listings here, but it was uh, a ship called the Winking Frog. And I actually made up deck plans for that for um, a, uh, the Serenity game that I ran. That was the ship for the crew. <laughs> and it Very was cool. a whole lot of fun to do uh, to make plans <laughs> for that. And that gave them something really unique to play with because I didn't want to just give them another Firefly class. That's, you know, it's a wonderful ship and thoroughly detailed and laid out. But I wanted them to have something, you know, that was theirs. Yeah, this is really cool. I like I like how he's, his ship plans are some of them are traditional ships you know from from canon from canon series and whatnot but yeah. some of them are just original creations that are yeah just off this setting and some of these he's even done for like um ships that worked for uh uh like indie short films and stuff like that right and these are things made out of just junk yeah <laughs> House I, oh, well, here's yeah. one. Here's one. It's a Fast Freighter 666. Uh, it's made out of a fluorescent lamp cover. Yeah. <laughs> and he takes pictures uh, during the process. So you can see it like unpainted and all the bits and pieces that went into building them. That's really, really cool. He does some really good work. Are you can order these? No, you can't order them. No. Can you? Not that I've no, seen. Surely. Yeah, I, I don't think you can actually buy any of them. There might be if, oh, you know, really email him directly. Yeah, but I bet he does on commission or something. Yeah. Most most artists will, you know. Yeah, it's I just love the collection because they're all so interesting and unique. And whenever he's done painting them, you cannot tell what they're made from. No, not at all. It's, they're just fantastic. So I just had. To I'm, I'm sitting here just digging through the yeah, site. I know now. it's one of those sites that you can easily get lost. Yeah, you just in. fall into. And then when you go into each ship, there's all sorts of. It, he's got like pictures of every angle. Yeah, it's great. So yeah, and then he has all the extra. You know, he's got links to all this. You know, here's even more angles. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> here it is nude before we. Uh, 
before painting. painted everything. Yeah. It's, <laughs> look at that. It doesn't look like anything. It's just like a bunch of crap he glued together. Uh-huh. The paint job really makes the ship. Yeah, the paint job really puts it together, and man. The paint job also gives it the scale. Because once you, yeah, cause you put windows on you just it, don't see it, then you have a human scale to work off of. Yeah, it's amazing work. So I just had to share that. I've loved that site for years too yeah that's a good one i like that i it, it's kind of inspiring to see that he just takes this junk and mm-hmm. trims it up into glues it into place and you know bob's your uncle there it is spaceship yep <laughs> yeah it, it makes me wish i had the uh the time to skills <laughs> same another here hobby that i don't have time for i kind of have the hobby of Look. collecting hobbies and i really need to stop that well it could be worse hobbies that's for sure yeah, but it's just amazing stuff. And it's a lot of fun just to take like a, a really good side view pick and throw it in Photoshop and start figuring out where deck plan, where the decks would be and how many decks it would have. And this one's made from a Yoplait yogurt cup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it doesn't look it though. When you, it's, it's just the Zoitech repair ship that's on the homepage over on the left. Um, it, it it looks like this giant spaceship that has this platform where you would land your other spaceship on and then your crew would come out and fix it or whatever. But whenever you look at the nude photos of it, it's a there's a flipping Yoplait yogurt cup down at the bottom that's the main engine drive. It's just fantastic. I don't understand how he does this. Yeah. It's great. Anyway, yeah, we're, we're, we're waxing now on we're it. we're just babbling. <laughs> awesome yeah, spaceships. Just, just going nuts. Yeah. So if you ever plan on using uh, sci-fi and horror together in a game, uh, or particularly sci-fi and Lovecraftian horror in a game, uh, shoot us an email. Let us know how it goes. If you have any other ideas, you know, uh, hit us up on the uh, forums. And uh, we're glad to hear any suggestions or gripes. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us that. Stick to topic and quit babbling incoherently. Not that we'll necessarily do it, but uh, in fact, we can almost guarantee that we won't do it. So, but you can so tell don't, us. And, yeah, don't and even we will call re- that. No, no, we do call. <laughs> we love getting them. It's really cool to know people actually listen. But we might not listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm messing. I'm messing around. Somebody play the end bumper, so I'll shut up. Okay. We love to hear from our listeners. We've got lots of different ways you guys can reach out to us with feedback. Our main contact email address is feedback at mu-podcast.com. We also have a Twitter account. That's at mu underscore podcast. And you can join our RC channel on the feedback page of the website. We have a Providence, Rhode Island voicemail number, area code 401-400-0MUP. That's 401-400-0687. Or you can use the SpeakPipe link located on the website. Ask us a question and leave us a line or say who you are. And I'm enrolled at the Miskatonic University podcast. And give us a hearty go pods for our home team, the Fighting Cephalopods. Our website is mu-podcast.com, and you can find our show notes for this episode at mu-podcast.com slash 66. That's the number 66. Our forums are at mu-podcast.com forward slash campus. Come join the community and be a part of the conversations. Thank you for joining us for another episode. Class is dismissed. (laughs) 
the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game is Property of Chaosium, Inc. The written works of H.P. Lovecraft are held in the United States public domain. All other works mentioned in this podcast are the property of their respective owners. Original content of this show is copyright of the Miskatonic University podcast under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share-Alike License. Algernon Blackwood's got something in there, I think. No, Algernon, never mind. Scratch that little bit right there, please. Since Algernon Blackwood's dead, but anyway. Also, one day, I'll, one day for the main topic, I really want to, I want to uh, freak Dan out and play Hot for Teacher right after the intro for the main topic. Because um, <laughs> I'm telling you, that, that voice gets me every time. Yeah, I have no <laughs> idea who she actually is. <laughs> That's sad because I would like to. <laughs> it's great. Anyway, um, so this this week um, for this, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs>